What's up everyone and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is June 24th, 2022. Phil, I'm a, I'm a bit heated. I'm a little angry. I got a lot of fire burning in my belly right now and I want to let loose, but I got to wait because that is the uh, second half of our show for the Buffalo Bandits and uh, we got some bisons to talk about before I can let loose and uh, let my rage do the talking. I think you were you're you're currently more upset than when the Bandits actually lost the championship because that was a little bit more of sadness where this is just this is a rant waiting to happen. Yeah, I haven't ranted in a while. Uh, I haven't ranted on a Buffalo sport in a while because everything's been going good. Other than the Sabres pickup of Bishop. Even that, like it was very confusing. I feel like we ranted, but it was more calmly. And I guess that is more like, hey, it it makes sense, this kind of deal, but you didn't get enough. So like I liked part of what they did. It just didn't make any sense. For what I'm angry about, none of it makes sense. Like, I don't get it whatsoever. It makes zero sense. The rest of the league understands it, but apparently the Buffalo Bandits don't. And yes, they just made it to the finals, but that doesn't exclude you from making dumb moves, in my opinion. It just doesn't make any sense, and uh, I'm not happy about it, and I'm going to let that roll as much as I can in the second half of the show without letting it affect the first half. So here we go with the first half. (laughs) Yeah, so remember, you can follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com. And remember to check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. So, Phil, we'll start with the Buffalo Bisons. And we got three games to cover, which is very rare, but they had a rare Thursday afternoon game. But Tuesday, they won 8-7 to in a huge comeback victory. They were down 5 nothing and 6-1 at one point. Even 7-2 going into the bottom of the 7th. Then the Bisons tossed out 2 in the 7th to cut it to 7-4. to four. And then in the bottom of the 8th, Podcool hit a RBI double. Then Taylor hit his second home run of the game, a 3-run shot to clear the bases and give the team the lead they would not give up. Bisons used 8 different pitchers to get them through the 9 innings, allowed 5 hits and 7 walks. It was just a great game overall. It carried on to Wednesday. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Once again, 3-2 win in walk-off fashion. The Bison scored the Bison scored first on Taylor's third home run in two days. He's just on a tear right now. Saints would hold a 2-1 lead entering the bottom of the ninth. That is when Large would step up, hit a single, and score Taylor. Then Podcool once again singled home Grossens to win the game. Taylor would go three for four with that home run and two runs scored. Large two for four with the game-tying RBI. And Lawrence, once again, like he's done all year long, dominated going seven innings pitched of two-run ball, 11 Ks. And then, Phil, just to wrap it up, Thursday, this one did not go their way. They lost 7-1. to one. It was 1-1 one, one until the seventh when the Saints put up a sixth-run inning with no other, none other, then Francis on the mound, but the one positive in this one is Taylor continues to hit in this uh, three-game series so far that's going to go six. He went two for three. The most interesting thing about these three games is we are seeing a little bit of the Bisons of last year with a lot of these comeback victories and just the walk-off fashion. There were so many times last year that you and I were kind of keeping an eye on the score and like, ah, not really that they're out of it, but... We'll see what happens, and all of a sudden, in the bottom of the ninth, they come back and either win it or take it to extras and win it in extras. So we saw that a lot last year, and you're starting to see it a little bit more this year. 
pretty interesting. And the going down 7-2 in the bottom of the seventh, it's not easy to... Again, not, this is what they do is their job. So it's staying focused is, I guess, not what I'm trying to get. I guess the morale on the bench, trying to stay positive in the bottom of the seventh with only nine outs to go, that you're going to be able to get five runs and then even more to win it. So six runs. It's just, it's it's tough. It's definitely tough. I mean, weirder things have happened and obviously they were able to pull it off. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's just an unlikely situation. So to be able to... Kind of going with the mindset even that late in the game that you have to just kind of keep chipping away. And like that inning, they got two to make it 7-4. And then six outs to go. You got only three runs at least to tie it. That seems a little bit more manageable. So it's all about keeping your just mind focused and chipping away at that lead. And it was great to see them come back in that one, especially, again, being down 5 nothing, 6-1 and 7-2. Kind of reminds you a little bit of a NLL-style comeback with just you're never out of it kind of mentality. And then, again... Winning the next game, which was great for Lawrence to see them pull off that win after he went seven innings of two-run ball and 11 strikeouts. He, like you said, continues to just absolutely roll, and as as well as Taylor. I mean, Taylor is really starting to get hot. I know we mentioned that he's been having a he had a rough start for a little bit, but he he's been doing much better as of late. But this is quite quite hot of a player in these last three games, especially in this series. And then Francis is just. Uh, He's he's killing me. Absolutely killing me. I am glad that you brought up last year because, you know, usually when a season ends, I kind of forget about a lot of stuff that happens. So you referencing that they had so many come from behind victories last year to, you know, jettison them into that championship run that they had. And it, it's nice to get them back to this because a lot of times this year it's been either they're winning by a lot or they're losing by a lot or they're winning those close games. You don't really see the walk-offs like you did. I think they had one or two other ones so far this year, but 100% with Taylor. Oh my God, he's on a roll this series so far. And I think that dates back to last series as well after Marina was called up where we said somebody needed to step up and we were wondering, is it going to be Grossens the the young top prospect in the system right now who's you know typically in that three four spot it's taylor taylor has stepped up he's he's got a i mean his average has bounced back to 276 right now he's hitting out of that two spot again he went two for three on thursday even during that loss but having those three home runs leading the team back it's he is definitely bounced back and once the updated prospect uh lists come out i can see him definitely moving up a lot Lawrence, what else is there to say? I know we were talking about it when we were playing NHL last night that we should look up the old Lug versus Lawrence battle, and I'm not going to say it on here because uh, clearly <laughs> it's not going well for Zach Lug. Uh, congrats to him, though. He's, he's making some appearances up in the big leagues, and that's quite an accomplishment for where he came last year from out of double A and making quite a few starts up in uh, the big leagues over in Oakland. But Lawrence, oh my, he's just unhittable right now he's playing amazing 11 strikeouts is just incredible but to me it was more they the the bison's almost wasted that start he would have taken the loss in that one only giving up two runs and seven innings 11 strikeouts he would have taken the loss i think the the biggest thing he has going for him right now that i think francis has been struggling with is he's not walking anybody, so he's not getting any any trouble allowing those free base runners on base, and then you're having to deal with them. You can't pitch from your stretch. You you got to adjust your whole pitching style. That's where it comes into Francis. I am 
Lawrence was having these same issues last year. Remember, he had that ballooned ERA. Every time he was coming out, it was like, why is this guy on the team? Like, what's going on? They sent him down to double A. He got right. He came back, and he was dominant the rest of the season. It was the Zach Lue versus Casey Lawrence show back and forth. I think Francis needs that to happen. I think it's time to send him down to double A, whether that's going to be in a long inning relief role or a starting spot. I think he needs time down in double A. Some of the less, you know, less top hitters in the minor league system down in double A. If he can get right down there, come up for the stretch run with the Bisons, I think that'll benefit him a lot more than continuing to struggle in the bullpen like he has been for a while now. Yeah, he's just, he's not doing anyone any favors, even to himself or the team or Toronto doing what he's doing right now. He just, clearly something's wrong. And we know from last year that he is a good pitcher. So he does have it in him. It's not like, He's a double-A pitcher that did pretty well in double-A and just hasn't been able to make it in triple-A. I mean, he's already been up on Toronto once this year. So they see some potential in him, and we've seen the potential from last season that he was a very good triple-A pitcher. So he does have it in him, but something's clearly wrong right now, and he's just not playing well. So I completely agree that sometimes getting that demotion to go up against easier opponents, even sometimes it's a confidence thing that – he just needs to be able to start a game and just kind of mow, you know, mow them down and just have a good few starts in a row. And like you said, fine tune whatever is going wrong with him, get it kind of just back to the way he was last year, gain some confidence and then try again in triple A. But right now he's hurting the team and he's just absolutely not helping himself either. Yeah. And it's a hundred percent. Like we know he's a very solid pitcher. He proved it earlier this year. He proved it a lot last year when he got traded over here. And like you said, it's, I understand that the the pitching department, as far as the Toronto Blue Jays organization, is hurting right now. There's a lot of injured players, so you might want to keep Francis in AAA just because you don't have enough arms. But like many people have said, minor league systems are about developing and improving so you're ready for the Major League Baseball. I don't think, like you said, he's not doing anybody any favors, including himself, pitching in AAA and getting blasted over and over and over. If you send him down to AA to get right, he can improve not only himself, but you can start helping the rest of the organization where he can slowly make his way back up into AAA and try to earn that 40-man roster spot again. Because remember, he was outrighted, so he's not eligible to be called back up to the 40-man roster unless they make another move to make room for him. So there's no real need to keep him on AAA for getting that call up to the bigs because the, he's not eligible to do that right now. There's there's other arms that are ahead of him in the pecking order. So I am in full support, and it's nothing personal against Francis. There are times in everybody's career where you're going through a struggle where you need to take a step back and get right, and I think that's exactly what would benefit him and the team and the organization the most is if you send him down to AA and get right. Completely agree, and there's one thing that we did not mention with the Bisons that I think you're going to have to mention because uh, it pertains to me more than, I guess, the team, but also the team, and it is something that you and I were very curious about. I had no idea what was going oh, on. I, remember. I forgot about this. <laughs> and uh, I think you're going to have to give, give our listeners the update on a certain very good player for the Bisons. Yeah, so uh, Vinny Capra, I think it was a couple series ago, Rochester maybe it was, uh, he, he left after one at bat, he, he left, pulled the game, we all thought, oh man, he's injured, okay, let's see how this goes, and then it was Colin Large also got hurt in that same game, he came back that same weekend, like, okay, let's see what happened, and then Vinny, Vinny Capra, that's who we're talking about, Vinny Capra, didn't get put on the IL, we were going back and forth, I'm like, Phil, he's not on the IL, he's still on the bench, like, he's in the, he's on the... 
the box scores. He's just not playing right now. Like, I think he should be back any day now. Well, he was put on the IL, seven-day IL, like two or three weeks later. So I don't know if it's just he's not healing fast enough. I don't know if it's there's players getting called up. Like, uh, uh, Tally just got called back up, but that was like a few days after Capra got put on the IL. So I'm not really sure about the situation. Maybe he had a setback in training where, you know, he went back to – uh, level zero to restart, but it's a, it's an interesting move and it goes on par with triple a that we just don't understand a lot of the moves that go on. I do think that happens in baseball quite a bit though, that they have setbacks in their rehab. So it's something where you think that he'll be back within seven days and something like, Oh, just a minor little thing. You tweak something, give him a little rest and he'll be right back in there. And then you kind of go through and something has a setback or it's not quite a hundred percent. You're like, okay, well we're still not gonna put him on the IL cause you know, maybe he'll still be back in the next couple of days. We think he'll be all right. And then just, you know, small setback after small setback. Eventually, they're like, all right, forget it. <laughs> this guy's officially going on the IL. So we'll see. We'll see what happens after another seven days if they either extend him or he gets back in that lineup. He is a pretty important part of this team and Toronto with his call up earlier this year. I do think he was hitting extremely well for the Bison. So he, he's definitely going to be missed for a little bit. Obviously, already has been, but. He's a big offensive threat, and I think the Bisons would actually love to have him back. So hopefully he heals up quick. Yeah, especially after you know Lopez is up there, you got Marino up there, so your your hitters are struggling a bit because all your talented players are up there. And then you know this offseason you lost a ton of players as well, so they're still trying to rebound from that. But Phil, we'll move on to the BSC update right now. I am up two. Uh, I'm sorry, 25.53.4 to 22.39.68. I still have that 300-point uh, lead. So with that said, is there any changes you would like to make to your BSC team? You got Lopez, who's up in the big leagues, but he's still on that 40-man roster. You got Capper, who's on the IL, but he's also there. And then you got Beasley, who's been bouncing up and down and scoring a ton of points. Not really pitching much. <laughs> he did pitch the other day and picked up the win, but uh, he's mostly just a, uh, a bounce back and forth between Toronto and Buffalo kind of guy right now. Yeah, he's doing his job for my team, though. He really is. Um, who who are your hitters? Who you got? I got Lucas, I got Morris, and I got Grossens for my hitters. And then for my pitchers, I got Lawrence and Castillo, and Castillo's up in the bigs right now. And then Warmoth and Large are free agents. Warmoth and Large are the free agents that are probably at the top of everybody's list if you're going to make a move. I'm just worried that you're going to take Capra from me. I promise I will not do that this time. <laughs> but next time I can't we're going to the, the future. <laughs> I can't promise that for the future, but for this time only, I'm not going to pick him up. All right. Well, I'll take large over Capper for now. I'm, I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to pick him up. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so you large yeah. over Capra? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And uh, I do like Capra a lot, so hopefully I can get him back. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. I'm uh I just scanned all the way back to uh my first draft when we first initially did this. When you dumped your entire and, uh, team. Yeah, uh the only player left from that is Lawrence. And uh I'm trying to figure out I picked up large after game three. So he did pretty well for me. So I, I, I wish him well on your team because I have such a comfortable lead I can do that. Can I give you minus ten thousand for uh picking up Greg Bird? <laughs> Well, listen, he was on the team. It's just he asked for his release and they had to do it. So I, I still stand by the pick at the time. And if, you know, Bison's ever did what we were hoping they would do and put out the list ahead of time before we record, 
Uh, that would be better, but they never do because they hate us. And uh, I don't know why, because we're the reason they won a championship last year. So, true. Uh, boom. And they are well on their way to another one, flirting with uh, staying in first place and being in first place and being at the top of the league again, all because of us. Yeah, so why hate us? Why hate us? I don't get it. I don't get Haters it. Gonna but hate. yeah, we will... <laughs> But we will cover the rest of the series versus the uh, St. Paul Saints on our Monday show. It's uh, another important series. The Bisons are on an absolute tear right now. They're about a game and a half up in the standings, I believe. I think they're a full two and a half before the rest of the games on Thursday because, remember, they had that early game. But we will move on to the Bandits. We do have a quick correction from our special Wednesday show for the protected pro- our protected players list. Now, again, NLL they hide everything. They they're not very transparent. They I will give them hands. They were a lot more transparent with RFAs and UFAs that they just released because of the protected players list today. Credit to them. They hadn't done it in a few years. I love it. It's it's a step in the right direction. I'm going to pat you on the back. It's a step in the right direction. When you do things that are good, I'm going to correct. I'm going to I'm going to applaud you. When you do things terrible, I'm going to call you out on it. This this is one of those times where I got to applaud you. You did very well on it. But Solver was left on the practice squad at the end of the year, so he is an official UFA, unrestricted free agent. I think I got to explain that a little bit more. Where his rights are no longer with the Buffalo Bandits, and he's free to sign anywhere he wants. That's what UFA means. And uh, Spanger, Matt Spanger, that's the one that we were going back and forth with. I wasn't able to connect with Scott before we recorded that, but Scott did do a little bit more digging. He is an RFA. He is not a UFA. So that means restricted free agent. The rights are still with Buffalo, but that means any team in the league can put in an offer and try to sign him. It's just the Bandits can match that offer and he comes right back. So Matt Spanger, UFA, not an, uh, I'm sorry, he is an RFA, not a UFA. But I, I just wanted to make sure those were corrected from the Wednesday show. I feel like RFAs, especially in the NLL, are just super weird because yeah, these guys rare. don't very make, rare. Somebody makes an offer. Yeah, they they don't make much money. So like as NHL. far as like as far as matching goes, I feel like it's not that difficult to match pretty much ever. Yeah. So I think that's it's interesting, and I completely understand that why. I mean that plus location of a lot of these guys who have two jobs i I get why there aren't too too many opportunities for rfas to be taken is there even (laughs) i don't think it's something we have ever mentioned before with the nll there is no uh cap right i would imagine they all just make sadly pennies for them i think there is a cap Oh yikes. But I don't know what it is. I, I know I've seen I don't know if it's anything verified, but I have seen different things where it's like at one point it was like a hundred thousand dollar cap or a five hundred thousand dollar cap or something like that. So there is a cap, I think, but I'm not sure what it is. Like I, I'm i I'm still one of those people that I want to know the contract status. I don't want to know how much players are making. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It's not like the NHL, the NBA, the the MLB where you have a hard cap. Or I guess the MLB doesn't, but NFL where you had a hard cap and it's more important to figure out the player's finances and how much they're exactly making so you know how much is under the cap and stuff like that. For me, I just want to know how many years they're signed for so I can plan for the future and who's going to be on this team next year. When you're hosting a podcast like that, it makes more sense. So if if there's ever a time for the NLL to work on something in the offseason so I don't have to keep track of a, a spreadsheet the entire offseason and have all my friends and everybody make fun of me for it, it's uh, it'll be a lot more better. I, I'll, I, I'm very looking forward to the day 
where the NLL takes that next big step and they become part of that like four main sport groups in America and I guess in Canada as well because we got quite a few teams playing up there as well. But once they take that step and these players don't have to have a second job where they can make a living playing this sport and you know can take the offseason off and they don't have to find another job to you know, make themselves survive. It's just I'm looking forward to that day even if I'm like an old man. I will uh I'll look forward to it and I think they're on the track. They're on the track, they're on the right way, but they still got a ways to go. I guess it does make sense that they would have some kind of cap hit. So someone like if Pagula really wanted to isn't just tossing out tons of money and when some of these other owners who aren't nearly as wealthy can't really compete and you just have one all star team because there's no cap. Similar to uh maybe our team that we like over in uh yield MLB, but we won't uh we won't get into that too much right now. Yeah, that was past days though. That That's true. Days. That's they true. Now they got uh anymore. Connor Falefa who makes like ten bucks. Um Yeah, they're uh they're penny <laughs> pinchers now. Like our all right, so we can uh are you, are you ready? You ready to I'm I think I'm ready. I'm not happy about being ready but i think i'm ready the protected uh players list was released probably an hour maybe two hours before we started recording this we're recording a little bit earlier on this thursday it's gonna be out on friday but here's the list want your thoughts i guess i'll get your thoughts before i get my thoughts or vice versa whatever it is forwards kind of makes sense we kind of figured with there was the main four that were going to get protected nanacoke Byrne, Smith, and Cloutier were going to get protected. That was the main four. And then we were down to that fifth one where it was, was it going to be Frazier or was it going to be Fields? Frazier, Fields, Frazier, Fields. Now, you and I both thought it was going to be Fra- or it was going to be Fields because of the, the uh, draft capital they invested in him in the offseason. But they ended up protecting Chase Frazier. Again, not a huge deal. We knew it was going to be one of the two that was going to be left exposed. I just thought it was going to be uh, Fields getting protected, Frazier. But it it's... The more and more we're looking into it, it seems like they left Connor Fields exposed because he asked San Diego for a trade back east because not only did he have a job, he had a fiance, he's getting married, he just bought a house last summer. So I think him having all those factors on the east coast here, it would make it less attractive for Vegas to pick him in the expansion draft because he's going to want to come back east again. Rather than Field or Frazier, who does live out west, I think he was a BC boy, I believe it is, from uh, my limited knowledge here. But he, that's more out west, so it, I think it's smarter for them in the long run and overall picture of that that protecting Frazier over Fields for those reasons. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, again, it's it's strange to I don't know. I'm trying to like compare it to any other expansion draft. And I feel like the NHL, like that NLL is just such a different sport because of everything we just talked about, even with like the salary cap and just how much they make in the the two jobs. Like you can't really compare it to the NHL's expansion draft. Cause if, you know, if they get selected by the team, they just go, they make enough money, they uproot their lives and away they go and they're playing on a different team. Whereas this, like, you have to not only take into consideration where they live and just where their kind of home base is, but at the same time, I feel like they would just, the bandits would have a lot of these talks with these players. Like, hey, if we leave you, you know, unprotected, you know, this will happen or we might do a, a deal or something or because we know you live here, we don't think that Vegas will really take you because, you know, they don't want you to move either. And just especially with how the way 
the league works. I mean, Mitch Desnew, who could be a possible defender of the year that the Bandits lost, which is a huge loss for them, but they lost him because of mainly his schooling is the way we understand it, that they trade him. Toronto, I don't think, in any other league, two massive rivals are trading star talent to each other, but because he is going to school in Toronto, they you know decided to make that kind of trade just for the betterment of that person's life. So I think that's just such a unique league, a unique situation. And exactly what you're saying, like Fields has, you know, his, his roots are here. So there's a chance that Vegas won't take him because of that. So it's, it's very strange. And it's something that I just don't think any other sport really goes through. But I do agree that uh, as far as that goes, that makes sense. So then we move on to the rest of the team here. They had six more spots left. They protected Sam LaRue. That was a bit of a, a shock to me just because I thought he was a forward. I guess they had him designated as a defense, which makes sense because that's the only position he played this year. They also protected Justin Martin, Ian McKay, Steve Priolo, Bryce Sweeting, and then Phil. This is what's got me hot and bothered right now, and not for the good reasons. They protected UFA Goalie of the Year candidate, MVP candidate, Matt Vince, who can reject the franchise tag, Phil, there was absolutely, and nobody can explain it to me differently, and I know you said you're going to try, but there is no reason that you had to protect Matt Vince. We said it in Wednesday's show. He's a UFA. He already instantly can say, I'm not signing with you. Oh, but can they put a franchise tag on you? No, he's 40. He's over the 34-year age limit where they do not have, he can just say, hey, I'm not going out west. They can do that. Now, some people might say, well, they had to protect him because what if Sean Williams was talking to Matt Vince and Matt Vince wants to go back out Vegas? Well, guess what? He can still do that come August 1st. He's a free agent. Buffalo can just say, hey, you're going out there. Oh, can they franchise tag him? No, they can't. That's the whole thing. There's nothing stopping Matt Vince from going to Vegas if he wants to go out there. They can protect him all they want. He can still go out there. Guess what? It doesn't matter. If they were going to pick him, guess what? You just saved Connor Fields. It doesn't make any sense why you protect Matt Vince in this draft when you don't have to. They were the only team in the NLL to protect a UFA that can reject the franchise tag. The only team. It doesn't make any sense. It's like people, it's like they saw the first rule that said five forwards, five defense, and a goalie. And they went, yep. Doing that one, didn't even look past that. They didn't scroll down on the computer screen. They just saw, oh, we have to protect this. Let's do it. Matt Venture Vent protected for whatever reason. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it, Phil. It's just mind-numbing, and this is one of the reasons that I get so upset with this league because it's like half the people in it don't understand what's going on. I think that was also further proven by the post that the Bandits made as to when the expansion draft is. I mean, it's just, again, we talk about it so much with this league that it's the little things that just seem unprofessional or seem wrong that you just you don't see in other leagues that they double check their work. They make sure everything's good before they post. It's just, again, the little things, even like the stats that you have to constantly hunt down and find the contracts that you have to hunt down and find if you can find them at all. It's just things like that are what are kind of holding this league back. Obviously, not the only things that are holding this league back, but When fans want to just dive into what their team's got going on, they want more information on their team, it just doesn't exist. I think 
part of that just takes away the ability for fans to be a little bit more involved with the team and just really follow them a little bit closer. I mean, I know you and I often go on the, what is it, Cap Geek? Is that what it is for the NHL? Cap Friendly. Cap Cap Friendly. There it is. Uh, we often go on that to see what the Sabres are up to and, you know, see what kind of draft picks they have, how how long the contracts are, what's going on. So it's just it's things like that that don't exist for the NLL that just kind of make it tougher for the fans to really just sink their teeth into their team and really just get into the more, I guess, analytical in a way side of it. But some of it's just very basic, like, again, knowing the date of the expansion draft and when you post that post on your NLL feed make sure it's right. It's something just as simple as that. I mean, getting the date wrong of that when it's only in a couple weeks is just, it looks embarrassing. And then on top of that, yeah, we <laughs> trying to protect a free agent who can reject the franchise tag also looks quite embarrassing. And it kind of reminds me with the way you said, not scrolling down and reading the rules. It reminds me of the last expansion draft where we had two don't, teams don't. going. I, I'm calming down, Phil. Don't get me started again. And uh, was it Panther City that was choosing second? Or was no, it this Riptide? Was, uh, this was the New York and the yeah, Riptide Rochester and one. Rochester, that's what it was. Oh, my God. That one is so confusing, too. Where they just continued. <laughs> I forgot who picked second. That's why I don't know. I feel like it was Rochester. I, I think it was Rochester. I thought because... Riptide picked first. No, no. You know what? It was New York that picked second. Because they got Durston. Durston went second in that draft. Yes. And what Phil's referencing is they they went in order for some <laughs> reason where it was, okay, Rochester picks first, then it was New York, then Rochester, New York. They went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it wasn't until New York called a timeout that they realized, oh, we don't have to pick the second best player on the team that just got picked in front of us. They went, they literally went, okay, they picked a Buffalo player, we got to pick a Buffalo player. They picked a Colorado player, we got to pick a Colorado player. And I'm going nuts on our group chat. I'm like, what are they doing? They can be picking any other player from any other team that you haven't selected yet. And then, then they called a timeout, and I went, they must have gotten a phone call from either the league or somebody in their their organization that went, guys, what are you doing? Like you could be picking the best if if they pick Buffalo first, why don't you pick the best player available from Colorado? Nope, let's pick the second best player from Buffalo and keep doing it until like round six when somebody maybe an intern called and said, "Guys, what are you doing? Like this doesn't make any sense." It's just those small things in the league that is stopping you from making that next leap. I'm not even talking about that next leap into like the top four team or four sports in the league, but not a joke. I mean, these small things are making your league look like a, a peewee league. It doesn't make any sense. Like Phil said, check your work. July 9th? That's, what is going on on July 9th that you thought the expansion draft was going on July 9th? Are you going to be missing it? Are you not going to be there? Are you not going to know until two days later who your t- player got chosen? What, what is going on? I understand people make mistakes. It happens a lot. But when it continuously happens in these same little Things that could just be fixed so easily continue to happen. There's nothing stopping from people just laughing at you and saying, you think we want to take you seriously? Just, it's, I make mistakes all the time and I own up to them, but you're a professional league. What is going on, Phil? I don't get it. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And again, to see the bandits who are supposed to be, I would say, a top class organization and one of the obviously older franchises that are remaining still and just one of the 
more professional franchise around with one of the biggest fan bases out there. Like you'd think that they would be above this stuff. Like they are connected to an NHL team. I would assume the staffing isn't quite the same, but they should have the resources to make sure things like this don't happen. That you're not taking Matt Vince who can reject the franchise tag. You are getting the date of the expansion draft. Correct. It's just, you should be, you know, a league example, not, you know, causing just these small little issues. And especially with, we'll have to see how the expansion draft eventually plays out. Who the heck knows? But again, to be the only team to take a unrestricted free agent who can reject the franchise tag just looks not great compared to everybody else. Yeah. And I, I, if there is a legitimate reason that Matt Vince was protected and we're just missing it, I will come on this show Monday morning or whenever we record Sunday night and fully admit, hey, I'm wrong. This is why they did it fully. That's why we just did it. We started this segment off by correcting our error from last show. Like that, We are more than willing to correct issues and things that we get wrong. We, we are not perfect. We completely just said, like, we're just two guys doing this every day. So if, if there's a legitimate reason that Matt Vince was protected, let us know. I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're just a normal fan. You have that in- information. Name your source. Got it. Whatever. I'll come out of the show and uh, fully apologize that you guys were smarter than me. And it's not hard to do, but you were smarter than me protecting Matt Vince. But I just don't see it. Everything I know about this, which, yes, it's sometimes not 100% correct. But everything that I'm looking at where he is a UFA, he is free to sign wherever he wants. He cannot get tagged by Vegas, so you're not fearful of that. And even if Vegas wants to sign him, protecting him does not guarantee you get to sign him because you can't even franchise tag him. So there's just everything I'm looking at, every box I'm checking off is just you wasted a spot on Matt Vince that could have been used on a sixth defenseman that you might lose in the expansion draft now that you just exposed in the expansion draft. And I guess that's a good tie into leaving the guys that did get exposed. That means Adler is uh, exposed. Frank Brown, Kevin Brown, Allen, Kyle Buchanan, both guys, UFAs, you didn't protect and can't or can reject the franchise tag. Smart, 100% smart. You did right by that. But then you got Connor Fields, Brad McCauley, Ethan O'Connor, Matt Spanger, Jordan Storos, Dalton Solver, Nick Weiss, Doug Buckin, Justin Robinson, Nate Kesnesnikov, Joel Matthews, Alec Tillette, Delvin Shanahan, Marcus Minichiello, and Justin Gutterding. So, Phil, on that list, I know Connor Fields is the standout, but assume Vegas is not going to take him because of all the reasons we listed. He, he lives here. He's getting married. Got to work here. I guess who is other names on that list that's exposed that would perk your interest on July 7th, not the 9th, the 7th? I know for you it would be Kuznetsnikov, so you don't ever have to say that name again. Oh, yeah, that would that would be helpful. <laughs> or if he could just change his last name. That Also. Nate also, K. Nate I'll K. say, we're, we got to give him a, a nickname. Kaz? Can we call him Kaz? Nate Kazi. Kazi? All right. <laughs> okay. Um... Yeah, out of that list, to me, am I reading that list wrong? There's two. There's two that I'm seeing that are uh, big red flags that I would I would be very interested if I'm not taking Connor Fields. But if I'm Vegas, I'm taking Connor Fields for a reason I'll say in a second. I guess outside of Fields, for me, Robinson 
is yep, uh, a huge one, one that pops up on the list, and he was a very good defenseman for us this whole year. Again, he's not a player that's going to put up a lot of those stats, the goals, the assists, but he does the little things, and he was a very good shutdown defenseman until he got injured. The only thing you could possibly say is that they won't take him because he just had a major injury. Maybe they just don't want to risk yep. how he's going to respond to that, which I guess would be fair. But for the Bandits, I hope he responds very well and comes back as a very strong defensive player because he was really good this year when he was on the field. I think it took him a little bit to kind of get used to the Bandit system and get going. But toward the middle of the season, he was a very solid shutdown defender. So I, th- I think he would be on my list as far as players to possibly take. Outside of that, um, like you said, Fields, obviously. I don't think Adler's been around the NLL long enough to really get chosen. I know you tried to protect Brown, so I'm sure he is. Uh, he's up there on your list. And then McCauley and Storos just being a little bit younger, both also jump out to me as possible options. Yeah, I mean, Fields, for me, if I'm Vegas, I am taking Connor Fields and I'm making Buffalo make a trade to get right. him back. That's a hundred percent what right. I'm doing. Like uh, he's fine. If, if he comes here and he doesn't play, that's perfectly fine. But that means you don't have him, but I think Buffalo is going to want him. I think they're going to do right by him. And I think Vegas is just going to take him. And the rest of the players are just going to be safe from get, getting picked in this one. If I'm Vegas, I'm taking fields for that exact reason. But Frank Brown, another guy where if you don't protect Matty Vince, you can protect McCulley. I think that's a big one. And ninth overall pick in 2022. Uh, draft. So I, I think he has all the makings to be one of those ones that Vegas is taking a hard look at if they don't take Connor Fields. Matt Spanger being an RFA, not a UFA, that's a big interest because he can't go anywhere else. He's he's an RFA. He's going to have his rights with Vegas if they select him. And then you know, Justin Robinson's the other big one. He was on all three of our lists on that Wednesday show. It's a big shock that he has left off. Like you said, maybe it's the injury. Maybe he's not going to be back for next year. Maybe he's like that Ethan O'Connor who did get hurt and missed that shortened season that was there where they might think, hey, there's no way Vegas is going to take him. He's not going to be able to play. But if I'm Vegas, I'm looking hard at that because I'm an expansion team. I'm not probably going to be winning very much next year. It's all about building the team from the ground up. Robinson might be a good pick for that. If you can sit him out, you can put him right on his IR. You can try out a bunch of other people. And when you're getting all those picks in the uh, ex- in the in the draft coming up, because you're stealing a bunch of expansion players and you're going to trade them back to the original teams, you can load up on those picks and have the roster spots for him because you could probably put Justin Robinson right on the IR. So I think those are the names to look for. But I think if I'm Vegas, it's, it's Fields all day. We also noticed that a decent amount of people were kind of confused why LaRue was added to the protected list. I know neither of us really had him on there, but at the same time, we did mention he is only 19 in the league. He was the 19th overall pick. He is a big guy. He's 6'3", 200, something that the Bandits are missing a little bit of is that size. I know they had him listed as a defender, even though coming through the draft, he was listed as a forward, so... Little confused how they kind of got away with that, but like you said, he did only play defense, maybe even officially in the books he's only played defense, so even though coming through the draft he was labeled as a forward, maybe they kind of just got away with one there, and you can save a young offensive talent who, again, he has a the makings to be a very, very, very good player. He's just extremely young, so most of these guys being 22, 23, 24 when they enter the league. He's one of the rare ones who entered at only 18 and now 19. So I think 
I know it seems a little strange, and again, he didn't play too much this year, but I think as far as future goes, he could be a very big piece as he continues to grow with the NLL and just continues to learn a little bit more about the game. So I get it that they don't want to lose a player like that. Again, I know some people were just kind of mentioning that he didn't really play a lot, so why are you bothering protecting him? But he's very young. He has a lot of skill. He has a lot of potential, and I do think that he would have been pretty high on the list for Vegas as just a, like you just mentioned, a, a younger team looking to build around future talent. I mean, he's going to be in the league for a very, very long time, be it only 19 right now. So, I mean, when he's in his prime, most of the people like Dane Smith are 28, 29, 30 when they're in their prime. He's going to be 23, 24, 25. So he's going to have a very long career, assuming he stays healthy. And I think he could be a very big piece for the Bandits team moving forward. So I, I, get why they protected him, and I get the confusion from others as to why he was protected. Yeah, 100%. I mean, credit to the Buffalo for being able to get his position switched to defense so you could cap or could protect him because he was one of those ones that we, all three of us mentioned that he could have been a possibility for all the reasons that you just said, that we weren't blind to the fact that he's 19. He was a former second-round pick, early second-round pick, 19 overall, that he could have been on the radar for Vegas. So being able to have them mark him as a defenseman and being able to protect him, that makes sense. It's just it still goes back to Matt Vince. You would have been able to protect a sixth defender if you didn't protect Matt Vince in an unneeded protecting protecting spot. It's AKA just, uh, very Robinson would have been great yeah. to see on the protected yeah. list. Now or Spanger, Spanger, Brown, Spanger, any of them, any yeah. of them. Oh God. Um, as far as like you said, I was going to throw a little positive spin on this. Not, it really doesn't have anything to do with the protected list per se. I do think that uh, they fudged that one up pretty, pretty roughly. I don't know again, what the thought is. And maybe, you know, hopefully I'll put it there. Hopefully we find out why, they went this route and just hopefully there's a good reason and not simply we didn't scroll down and see there were other options. Cause another good example, which I'm kind of getting past my positive point, but another good example of a team that did not do this was the Toronto rock. They yep. have Nick Rose and uh, yep. he is not protected. And Nick Rose again, yep. top three goalie of the year candidate, obviously a huge staple of their team and one that led them to the Eastern Conference Finals. Obviously, they lost to the Bandits. Give a little, little woot-woot for the Bandits there. But again, another team that decided they decided to protect only four forwards and a, a slew of defense. Their team is mainly defensive, so it made sense for them. But at the same time, they did not protect Nick Rose. So a great example of a team-by-team comparison as to why we protected Vince and they did not protect Rose. So Hopefully we're missing something to not just say the Bandits did not handle this very well. Hopefully there's a reason that we are missing. Otherwise, I, I think they just kind of screwed it up. But as far as the positive goes, I think the only real positive out of this is you kind of see that Vince should be theoretically back in a Bandits uniform and that he is not retiring. It looks like he will play again simply because the fact of what I kind of mentioned earlier, this league is very small. I feel like they're all very close and I could easily see a lot of these teams having, you know, behind door, closed door meetings like, Hey, are you going to play again next year? Are you going to retire? What's your thought process? Are you going to run it back with us? Are you thinking about moving on? So I think that, I don't know. I don't know if that would, again, like you said, protecting him does absolutely nothing. So I'm not really sure why they protected him, but I think it does mean that he has no inclination to retire and that he will be back 
hopefully with the bandits next season. That is a nice positive twist on it to end the the uh the segment about that one. So credit to you. But I guess uh Toronto's page they have the the mouse that scrolls down. Yes, they, they were do. Able, yes, able the yeah. <laughs> the bandits uh, monitor froze, and they're like, oh, "All right, guess Apparently, this is yeah. it. Guess <laughs> this is it. This is our one option we that we get. Any other options?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the expansion draft is July seventh. We will uh, kind of dive into this a little bit if we uh, we choose to do that. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep everybody up to date on what Buffalo Bandit is uh, out the door any rumors of possible possibilities of keeping counter fields and any of the other guys so uh with that free agency opens on august 1st again credit to the nll they actually did something right here they put out the rfas and the ufas for each team really big help for especially us and people around the league to figure out which players are actually free agents because there's not a system in place to figure that out and then uh just another reminder the nllpa did opt out of their collective bargaining agreement which means uh next season is still in limbo nll still does not have a commissioner or a deputy commissioner we knew that by uh the trophy ceremony where they just had like a executive or somebody hanging out the trophy instead of a commissioner so that's one thing i was interested in seeing who was uh gonna pass out the the trophy to robert hope but it's uh there's a lot of uncertainty right now, but what is not uncertain is the NLL award finalists. There are five different categories, and uh, there's a bandit in each one. Dane Smith and Matt Vince. Yes, the Matt Vince that we just ripped apart. Well, I guess we didn't rip him apart. We ripped apart the bandits for protecting him. Are both up for the MVP along with Joe Rezateris. Goalie of the year is Matt Vince versus Dylan Ward and Nick Rose. Now, remember... Everybody might think be thinking Dylan Ward clearly won this, but this was voted on before the playoffs even started. So what happened in the playoffs does not impact these voting whatsoever. Defensive player of the year is Steve Priolo versus Mitch Desnu. Yes, the Mitch Desnu that we traded to Toronto. And Kyle Rubish. Coach of the year, Johnny Tavares versus Tracy Kaluski of Panther City. Well-deserved. And Matt Sawyer of Toronto. And then GM of the year is Steve Dietrich versus Jamie DeWick of Toronto and Bob Hamley of Panther City. So there's uh, a lot of possibilities up here. It's, uh, I guess it's a big red flag for everybody that said, oh, Matt Vince is not good anymore. He's washed up. He, he, he didn't play well enough. He's the reason we lost. He's up for both MVP and goalie of the year. And uh, I think that's a huge, huge indication that he is no longer washed up as opposed to a bunch of people who are claiming he is. But uh, for a 40-year-old man to be MVP finalist, it's uh, it's it's something to put in your back pocket there and say he's still got a long way to go until he regresses. Yeah, we recently started playing indoor soccer again, and uh, oh <laughs> we are not near 40 and a much smaller field, not on a professional level, and we are hardly keeping up. So <laughs> credit to him and his just dedication to staying in shape and staying at the top of his game. And again, seeing him up for MVP and goalie of the year clearly has not lost a step. If he is back in a Bandits uniform next year, I will be extremely happy to have him as our goalie once again and just kind of... Try to run it back, but if he moves on, I'll be disappointed and very confused as to what the Bandits are going to do with the goalie. So I do hope he's back for the Bandits, and like you said, he is clearly not washed up, and he is someone who stays in incredible shape, and I could see it happening once again going into next year. Yeah, all these awards are going to be announced throughout next week. I think they're spacing it out, which, again, I think is very smart. Congrats to NLL. I think being able to take up coverage on every day of next week is a lot better than just having a one-day 
media blitz of all this stuff. You can wait in anticipation all throughout the week to find out who won what award. I, I think that's great, and I think that's a great idea by whoever came up with it. So we will move on to the other league that's currently playing. They're into week four, the PLL. Josh Byrne, Dane Smith, Ian McKay, Chase Frazier, and Tehoka Nanakoke joined the quote-unquote and hashtag Buffalo Chaos to their active roster. Now, Max Adler and Chris Coutier were both added to the pup list, so they will not be playing, but the other five guys that I did mention will be on the active roster this weekend. And then Connor Fields was also added to the Archers active roster. And then, sadly, Dalton Solver was released from the Cannons and put in the player pool, so he is eligible and able to sign with any other team if the other teams sign him. But it's... uh. Besides Connor Fields, it's a uh, Buffalo Chaos party and watch party is what we're going to be doing the rest of the summer now. And don't you dare forget about Larry the Goldfish. He is Oh, uh, with Larry. Yeah. He Whip is snakes. playing in the PLL on the Whip Snakes. Justin Gutterding, who again, another very confusing player as far as the Bandits go. I have no idea why he just wasn't on the practice squad or wasn't in uniform this season. Not really sure what happened there. But as far as the PLL goes in the Buffalo Chaos, I think Solver being released just gives another option for him to join the Buffalo Chaos. So, uh, 100%. Then it, it's already one less team we got to watch because he's not on the can- cannons anymore. <laughs> so if he signs with the Chaos, we're we good. really only got to focus our attention on two teams rather than three. But it won't affect the Bandit season next year, I don't think, at all. But I do think it's interesting to see Adler and Cloutier both on the pup list. I wonder if they are just simply nursing injuries from the playoffs that they kind of both fought through. And now that they have a brief second to rest that the team, the chaos nicely put them on the pup list to allow them to heal before joining that team as well. So I think it's interesting to see them both on that list, especially Cloutier. I mean, we didn't really hear or see anything that would indicate that he was injured, but I think it's good for the player and the human being to, uh, be on that list and get a little bit of rest and actually heal whatever is bothering them. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see if because I know you had Chase Frazier in the PLL fantasy game that we played last year and couldn't get back into the country because of all the visa <laughs> issues and the border security. So hopefully that is a uh, long past this year and we don't have to worry about that. But Phil. It is time. Once again, it's the third installment of this. We've done it for the Buffalo Bills. We did it for the Buffalo Sabres. Now it's the Buffalo Bandits time. It is our annual BSC Awards show. Let's reflect on the season a bit. The Buffalo Bandits went 14-4 and in the regular season. They went 4-2 and in the playoffs, but they did lose the last two in the title game to Colorado. It's sad, but, you know, we're moving on. Let's keep this positive. We're moving into the awards, the most coveted award known to athletes around the world. And uh, sadly, the other people around the world can't be a part of this because they don't play for any of the Buffalo teams. So they will never receive an award in the BSC. So for MVP, we have three candidates here. They are Dane Smith, Josh Byrne, and Matt Vince. Phil, uh, who I, I know this might be a little trickier one, quote unquote, if it actually is, but who is your MVP? I think we're probably going to agree on this one. Also, before we do begin our awards, we will be asking fans of the yes, show yes. to name our award similar to the office where they have the Dundies. We tried to briefly think of it, and we kind of just went blank as to what we would like to call our specific awards other than BSC awards. So if any fans have any fun, either Buffalo-themed ideas or BSC naming ideas for our specific award shows at the end of every season, please let us know because we could use your help. As far as MVP goes, I think it is slightly tricky 
because obviously Dane Smith had a absolutely monster year and kind of led the league in points by quite a bit, shattered records again, so it's always hard to ignore, but Matt Vince was an extremely good backstop as well for this entire defense, this entire team, and again, as far as most recent play goes, like are we doing season only similar to the NLL, or are we doing playoffs included? Let's do the whole wrap-up of a season, so playoffs included as well. See, I think that's where it gets tricky, because most recently in our mind, we have an absolute dominant second half by Matt Vince trying to keep the Bandits alive and in it and winning a championship, and you have, as some people have quoted him, instead of the Great Dane, they, they call him the Great Ghost, as he just kind of disappeared from the score sheet and the game. So, I think, to me... If you're going season as an entire whole, man, it's still really, it's still really tough. I feel like they're just so close. I'll say close. it for you. I'm, I'm voting Matt Vince All because right, of fair. everything you said. Thank you like, for pulling the trigger. He's up for MVP award in the NLL. I think if Dane Smith would have not disappeared the last two games of the finals, it was his award. It was his award to lose, and he lost it. So I'm going Matt Vince. Yeah, I was I was leaning Matt Fence. I didn't want to pull the trigger, but uh, I was leaning Matt Fence. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So we will. Yeah, I think I think we are in agreement that Matt Fence deserves it. And again, just seeing his just the way he played all year for the most part was very consistent. He had one or two here or there uh, kind of rough games, but for the most part, he didn't really disappear at any time. And when he needed to, you know, be called upon most, I think he just played incredible. Even in those last two Colorado games, I mean. The game before it, only 11 goals given up, really something that the offense should have been able to handle. And then, again, that that last game, only giving up nine goals, something that the offense absolutely should have been able to handle. So I think Matty Vince deserves it. Matt Vince, your award is in the mail. Uh, We expect a picture with it, a nice selfie, and send it back to us, and we'll put it on our walls. But it's in the the mail. Uh, Look forward to receiving it. You put these in the mail very quickly. I do. It's, I got the drop slot right next to my chair right and here. And you already it's, printed it. I already did. It's, it's nice and quick. <laughs> Is this like the nice NFL passes. draft where you got the 100%. someone backstage uh, etching yep. the name in the jersey? 100%. You got the hat and the jersey ready. It's all it's right. Velcro, but this is like I got, I got a, <laughs> uh, an engraver behind me right now doing it all. But we'll move on to Defender of the Year. We got four up for this award. Steve Priolo, Nick Weiss, Ian McKay, and Matt Spanger. This one also seems a little bit more difficult because of what happened in the playoffs. I think, to me, it really comes down to Priolo McKay. I know Weiss has obviously had his absolutely dynamite moment, which we will talk about a little bit later. But as far as just leaders of the defense and really just kind of keeping that defense focused and doing what they do best, I think it'd have to be, you know, like for for that aspect alone and leading Priolo, but at the same time, Ian McKay was just – that much more of a transition player, I think, than we've seen yes. in other seasons. I think he just really added that element to his game a little bit more. I think the PLL might have had something to do with that for him. And he was just, he was a little bit more two-way than Priolo. I know we saw Priolo get in on the offensive side every once in a while, just kind of setting picks, but he's not really an offensive weapon, whereas McKay was actually a pretty decent transition weapon, especially in playoffs. There were multiple times where he came up with big goals or just had big plays, either assists or turnovers. So, again, it gets a little bit tricky with playoffs and McKay doing what he does best. As far as just defense goes, though, as if we're we're kind of shifting a little bit closer to that, I think you have to go with the 
person who is also a potential Defender of the Year Award winner in Steve Priolo. That is who I am also voting for. I know you mentioned that Ian McKay is kind of taking over that role of the coast to coast. I think Steve Priolo has kind of retired on the East Coast here, if you see what (laughs) I did there. But I think Ian McKay is more of that transition role player as opposed to the defender that Steve Priolo is. It seemed like Priolo definitely did step up in the playoffs. It seemed like he was saving that up for the playoff time. And Ian McKay, he did have a couple breakdowns that I remember that kind of stand out on the defensive end throughout the year. And it's, it's hard to ignore Steve Priolo's presence back there. I mean, when he was out that one game, I think it was New York's game where it ended up being that 18 to 17 game where he was out, where you definitely noticed his presence was missing just on that aspect alone. I think you got to give it to Steve Priolo, who is still the leader of the defenders back there. Agreed. Agreed. He is the the captain of the defense. So, and captain of the team. But we'll move on to the offensive player of the year. We have a couple nominees here, and uh, they are Dane Smith, Josh Byrne, Chris Cloutier, Connor Fields, and Tehoka Nanakoke. All five of them are uh, very deserving of this award. But I think, uh, Phil, this one is... uh, This one's a little bit more easy for me, even with playoffs included. Yeah, this one's still the same same thing. Uh, I think the... As much as I would love to give it to Josh Byrne because he had an absolutely incredible season that, again, is not talked about nearly enough with how much he improved, almost had his first ever 100-point season, and then carried that into playoffs and did extremely well in playoffs as well. So I would love to give it to Byrne, and he was a very close second. But Dane Smith, potential MVP of the league, is uh, going to have to win this one. Yeah, I think if Byrne would have stepped up in any way in Game 3 or Game 2, I think I could have given this award to him. But he kind of disappeared just like Dane Smith did in that Game 3. And with that, I I have to lean on... I mean, Chris Cloutier did his thing in the playoffs. He was kind of a different type of player this year, setting those picks, getting in those dirty areas. Connor Fields disappeared. And then Tehoka Nanakoke only really had that one huge game in Game 1, which was huge. It, It kind of pole vaulted them to the the game one victory, but I think, I think it's got to go to Dane Smith two points short of setting or tying his career record three points short of breaking it. I think you got to give it to Dane Smith just on how amazing his regular season was. And he also did break the single season assist record and he did it in 16 games, which was the old record, how many games it took. So to see that and to see the pace he was on just absolutely incredible season by Dane Smith. And he holds the record for most points in a season, most goals in a season, and most assists in a season, and not very many players. I Maybe Johnny T did it back in the day. I would have to look that up, but uh, I think he's one of the very few that have ever held all three of them at one time. It's a huge accomplishment. But Phil, next award is going to be very, very easy to hand out. Uh, goalie of the year. Who, uh, who are the nominees for this one? So I think For me, it's going to have to go to the goalie that was in, I believe it was Ian McKay's video. Or was it Chris Cloutier? Was it Cloutier's video? It was Cloutier's, yes. It was Cloutier's video. uh, Yes, Hank the goalie who was sitting in net taking, you know, a lot of shots from Cloutier as Cloutier was just kind of messing around and practicing. He was the... uh, Unsung hero of the entire year, and who Hank is, is a dummy that uh, Cloutier put in the net to try to shoot around. Uh, But he made a lot of big saves in practice, and he was, uh, you know, he just didn't get enough credit this year, I think. 
Yeah, we just named him Hank. Uh, no reason whatsoever. <laughs> That's just his name. That's what we gave him. But yeah, it's it's Matt Vince. I mean, how can you give it to anybody else? I know Doug Buckin came in one or two games. I can't remember how many games he subbed in for. Just in the dying seconds of the game. But Matt Vince, our MVP for this team, possible MVP of the league, possible goaltender of the year. How can you not give it to Matt Vince when he played 99.9% of the minutes? And I think if he would have... If he would have played the rest of that one game where he got pulled out of, I think it was the the Philly game of the the four four games in eight days. I think he would have broken the safe single safe single season save record, which just stinks that he was pulled out the only time he really got pulled out of meaningful minutes of uh, big time minutes, and uh, he would have broken that record. It's, it's it stinks. It stinks. Yeah, I mean, obviously. No one's in it for the accolades as yes, they claim, it's nice but thing. it's yeah. still, I'm sure it was in the back of his mind a little bit that <laughs> had he, had he played that whole game, he would have, he would have had that record most likely, but he does have the most amount of playoff games ever played by a player. He does have that he record does, officially yes. as of that championship third round game. So congratulations to him for that and easily our goalie of the year. Sorry to he- Hank. If he comes back next year, he'll keep uh, expanding on that total as well. So, Matt Events, we want you back. Uh, I don't know if these awards will ever be heard by you, but uh, I think this is more indication that we love you and we want you back. And uh, you're nowhere near washed up like some people might claim. Yes, I'm talking to all you people that claim he is washed up. You're insane. You are insane. So our next award is called Now That's a Goal. It is the goal of the year. We have three nominees. Now we have Kyle Buchanan's overtime dunk goal off of a missed shot by uh, Chase Frazier in the overtime winner versus Albany. We have Chris Cloutier's overtime winner against New York in that 18-17 victory. And then, oh, Phil, I don't know how this is going to be defeated, but we have the Nick Weiss game one game winner Colorado playoffs finals. It's the whole arena erupted. You heard it on the video. It still gives me chills to this day, even though they didn't win it. So, uh, Phil, who, who, who won this one? Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty easy. I think part of the problem, the New York one is huge. It's very, yes, yes. it was, again, New York didn't make playoffs. So they're all huge. They're all huge. They're all huge. They're, I mean, yeah. they're, they're winners for a reason. But that game, especially just how the way that game played out, being down so late in that huge comeback they had in an absolutely insane 18 to 17 game. It was wild. It was wild. It was a very exciting game. But I think the biggest problem with that one is that it was away. If, if you have that game at home, I think it's a little bit different of a feeling, but obviously Nick Weiss in playoffs scoring that game-winning goal against Colorado in game one. I mean, not only is that probably the loudest I've heard Bandit land in a very long time and just the most excited I've gotten in a very long time, but at the same time, it did at least, even though they didn't win the championship, it did end their championship drought of not winning a single game in the championship series, so... At least they have that off their backs. I think uh, this team, you know, next year's the year because you went no wins in the championship series. Now you got one win in the championship series. Next year is two wins and you take the championship. It's just uh, it's a slow burn, I guess. As they expand it to a best of five. No! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely Nick Weiss. Like you said, I, I can't really expand it on anything else. They, it was the loudest I had heard Bandit Land in quite a long time. And 
It was uh, the most passion, and I almost need myself in the face for how high I jumped during that. Yeah, I was but, saying, uh, I may have been jumping yeah. up and down as well. So. Yeah, it, it was a it was a great experience, and it's one of the shining moments of the season. And I think that's why we do this. Is just there's so many great points, even though the season didn't come down to how we wanted. That's what these award shows are. But we will move on to you got better award. This is the most improved player. There are three up here. It's Josh Byrne, Ian McKay, and Max Adler. Phil. I think this is the one that uh, I, I guess I'll just say his name. I think Josh Burns went in this one. We couldn't give him offensive player of the year, but I think he definitely deserves most improved player. He just had an unbelievable season that was overshadowed by Dane Smith's incredible season. So I think I I am fighting for Josh Burns in this award. Yeah, I think the other two on here definitely are on this list for a reason. Adler yes. coming into the league in the middle of the season his first time ever with NLL action. And I think throughout the year, he got much, much better. I think he learned a lot of tips and tricks on how to win faceoffs and, you know, kind of just how to do them in general. Like a lot of times he was just kind of looking down at the ball then eventually started looking up at the ref to see when he was going to call it. And just learning the subtleties of the NLL game that are a little bit different than outdoor and just going up against that gauntlet of, face-off guys that he had to face early on in his NLO career there in the middle of the season. Then Ian McKay, again, I think we saw just a big change in his game. I think he was always kind of a, a solid defender, but to see the transition game step up a little bit more this year, which again, I do also think has to do with the PLL and just his a little bit of more of an offensive role in the outdoor game. I think that kind of just expanded here in the NLL, and I think he had a very good year. But like you said, Byrne having his personal career best in points and one away from a hundred and simply just overshadowed by Dane Smith. If Dane Smith isn't on the team or at least doesn't put up those numbers if Byrne is, you know, and if Dane Smith ends up with 95 points and Byrne ends up with 99, I think a lot of these, a lot of these awards kind of get flipped a little bit and Byrne would end up walking away with them. So he is clearly the most improved player and just the season he had again, very overshadowed, not talk about enough, but he had an incredible year on the, left side of the ball not the right side pk okay calm down calm down, <laughs> calm down. but yeah it's definitely josh burton i mean one point short of a 100 point season it's just incredible he definitely stepped up and played i don't even want to call him robin to dane smith's batman but i can't really think of another comparison right now burton ernie there you go burton ernie they were burton ernie <laughs> which we'll one's which on. no which one's which <laughs> i think dane smith's burt and uh, Ernie is uh, Josh Byrne. Because right, I think Smith is bigger, like bulkier, and that's it's Bert. And then Ernie is like a tall string bean, and that's Josh Byrne. There you go. I want you to tell Josh to out. his face that he's a tall string bean. You're a tall string bean, and you're Ernie. I just did. There you go. But the next award is Get It Rookie. This is Rookie of the Year. There's quite a few of them. Max Adler, Tehoka Nanakoke, Dalton Silver, Jordan Storos, Brad McCulley, and Sam LaRue. Yes, some played more pivotal roles than the other, but we wanted to get them all involved because they all played a somewhat kind of role with the Buffalo Bandits and why they had the season they did, whether that's just working guys in practice, whether that's playing in games, stepping up into roles that you're not typically normally playing. But I think they all deserve to be on this list. But I think there's one above the rest, and that's a guy that we just protected in the expansion draft. Sadly, a lot of these awards just have really not been all that close. Some of them have been closer than others. Uh, I think Matt Vincent Hank was probably the closest we've seen. But 100%. yeah, Nanakoke being, you know, the draft pick he was and just how he kind of fell to the bandits a little bit, but 
coming in with the talents he had and just, again, being a, what, I believe a ball boy for the Bandits early in yep. his youth. So being able to play for the Bandits after all of that and the season he had, just the different style of play with how how uh, just diverse this offense is and how incredible this offense is. And to see that he is just that much more noticeable than a lot of the players on the field. He just brings a different kind of physicality and a different kind of just toughness and style of play. He just reminds us a lot of Durston or Stainhouse with just his, his fake pass ability, his fake shooting ability, his ability to just drive at two or three players and, you know, somehow hang on to the ball the entire time and then dive in front of the net and just some of the, highlight real goals he had and then that five goal game against Colorado which led to them winning that game one he just had an absolutely incredible season I think some people kind of forget that he's just a rookie and he should be able to continue to grow and get better and better and better which I know he didn't have you know quite the insane stats that a, a Smith or a Byrne did but to think that he can only go up from here is pretty impressive for what he was able to do on this team this year yeah, 100%. Like you said, got to remember, he's just a rookie. And I will admit, like I said, I will admit when I'm wrong, when this draft happened and they took Dehoka Nanako third overall, I was like, what are you doing? This offense is already loaded. Why are you drafting another forward? I'm dead wrong. Like he adds that aspect to the offense that was much needed. This is the type of player that you need to try to go out and acquire in this offseason because he's the one that gets in those dirty areas. He's the one that can get to the net. He's a bigger body guy. You can't get that ball out of his stick. I don't think I saw one time all season in those 22 game or 24 games that were played actually no yeah 24 games that were played I don't remember a time where they were able to get the ball out of a stick unless he got pushed to the ground three guys on top of him and they're whacking a stick and the ball just slowly dribbles out you cannot get that ball out of his stick he takes cross checks to the face and keeps moving he draws penalties when you're on the uh, the penalty kill he's just a player that's going to keep getting better and better and better, and I'm so happy that they did take him three overall and that they proved me wrong with this draft pick, and I, I couldn't have asked for a better number three overall pick in last year's draft, and like you said, he's just going to keep getting better and better and better, and he's going to be setting records in this league for years to come. So, Phil, we'll move on to the next one. I think this is probably one of your favorite awards because you are that type of uh, podcaster and you're one of those type of humans. So, Undisputed Sleeper, it goes to the under-acknowledged player. I know you like the young rookies, the the up-and-comer, the 6th, 7th wide receivers on the depth chart. That's kind of what this is, is. So, we got Justin Martin, Kyle Buchanan, Chris Cloutier, Kevin Brownell, and Justin Robinson on this list. All well-deserving, all guys that you typically won't see very often in the scoreboard, on the stat sheet, hear their names very often, but they're doing the work without the recognition they deserve, and I think uh, all five deserve to be on this uh, on this award finalist list. Before you gave that award the warm intro that it deserved, I was looking at the list and agreed with exactly what you said. None of these guys really get the credit they deserve, and all of them definitely deserve to win this, and it is probably my favorite award, and also the one that I think is going to be the toughest for me to decide because you're literally deciding amongst people that don't get enough credit, and they they all deserve more credit. So in that aspect, they all deserve the award. To me, though, there's one player that stands out just a smidge above the rest. There's two in my mind, maybe three that it really comes down to with, to me, it's Buchanan, Cloutier, and Robinson. I don't think Robinson got 
nearly enough credit for what he did on defense. Again, he's just a very quiet player, not going to put up the stats, but he goes out there, he did what he needed to do, and he was a very good shutdown defensive player for this team and a very young one. So I do hope he not only returns, but returns fully healthy and is back on the bandits because I would love to see him for another year. And then Buchanan and Cloutier. Cloutier, despite having a pretty decent offensive year as far as points go, I think he just doesn't get enough credit for being the left side's kind of Nanakoke player. The amount of times that he set up Burn with a clear look to the middle and just the amount of passes he gave to him and just the work he put in on that side, I think really unlocked Josh Byrne this season and helped Byrne get to almost 100 points. I don't think he does it without Cloutier over there and the just the relationship they have, obviously, through the PLL and just being on the team for multiple years now, that was clearly seen. You could see the chemistry, but just the the amount of physicality and just the work Cloutier puts in every single game to get Burn those open looks and to get those opportunities and the amount of times Burn is able to kind of duck down and, you know, take the, the crease dive. A lot of that's because Cloutier is doing a lot of the other work up top that, again, just goes very unnoticed. But I think Buchanan... I think he he mainly gets it because he is the the small guy. I think that is kind of just for me what gets it for him. He just a hundred ten percent. His motor never turns off. The amount of times that we saw him kind of you know the plays over the entire offense except him is off of the field completely, and he's out there hustling, going against two, three, four guys, wins the ball, either gets them. Another opportunity that the offense has to run back out for or ends up scoring himself. The amount of times that we saw him take a loose ball and just burn one or two people and just take it to the the house himself. And just, again, he just never quit. The amount of loose balls he was able to get, he's definitely someone who's not going to show up on the stat sheet as much as like a Cloutier or any of the other forwards. But he did a ton of the little things extremely well. And given his age, if he does decide to retire, I th- I think it will leave a hole in the Bandits offense that they will have to fill. Phil, you, uh, I thought you were going Chris. I thought you were going Cloutier. And then you s- completely took a 180 <laughs> and went with Buchanan. And I was like, man, he swayed me. Like, I- I'm, I'm, I've got to switch my vote, and it's Chris Cloutier. And then you said all the Buchanan stuff. I was like, nope, back on the Buchanan bandwagon. I was like, I-, I was going in, going to Buchanan, and then you said all that stuff. I was like, I'm switching. But, yeah. Not only did he do all that stuff, but I think the only thing that you didn't mention was he was out on every single faceoff. He's out there he's the trying only to get those loose balls. Usually. Yeah, he's the only forward out there every single time. They never drifted off that 2-2, two, two, uh, I'm sorry, the 3-1 framework in the, the faceoffs. I mean, they may have did it one or two other times in a game, like midway through the game when Adler was winning it. And I, I think I even mentioned on the show where Adler was dominating game one of the NLL finals. I was like, hey, why don't you go 2-2 two, two? so you already got some of your offense out there? But I think that aspect of it, as long as well as, like like you said, he's always the last forward out there. He's running around with his head cut off like a chicken because he's just nonstop. He's the motor that runs that offense. And I think everybody has already said on the, the offense at one point or another that Kyle Buchanan is that sleeper, sleepy assassin out there where he's not – you know, putting up those numbers, but he's getting those loose balls. He's, he's setting those picks. He's getting into the nitty gritty areas. I mean, he was one of the few that was actually trying to get in that spot. He's just too small to actually withstand the punishment like Nanakoke did, but I fully agree. Undisputed sleeper goes to Kyle Buchanan. Kyle, the award is in the mail. It's on its way right now. So Phil, the next award, 
Give me more. This is one of those ones that we need somebody to step up next year. We want this player to step up. We need more from them. And it could be for many different reasons. There are four nominees. Four nominees. That's that's a word for you. Nominees. <laughs> it's nominees. I can't even do it now. There are four guys up for this award. Max Adler. I'm sorry. Scratch that. There are Frank Brown, Chase Frazier, Connor Fields, and Brad McCauley. All four of them are up for this award. Phil, it'll be interesting to see which one you think deserves this and for what reason. I think all four absolutely could deserve it, and not exactly in a mean way. For the same reasons? But uh, I I would say different reasons. Frank Brown kind of coming back from that injury. I think it took him a long time to get going. That's why he's on it. Yep. Right. Toward the end, though, I think he was starting to pick up. He was a little bit more consistent. I think, again, if we could see a full season of Frank Brown, I think it could be a great addition to the defense. He is available to Vegas, so we will have to see how that goes. Fraser, I think he just kind of disappeared a little bit more than we expected this year. He was someone who I think maybe Nanakoke kind of took over his role a little bit and maybe it like kind of ate into his points a little bit. But I think we saw him shift a little bit more to an outside shooter than he was. I think in years past, he's been able to get to the crease a little bit more, do his swim move and just kind of take on defenders one on one. And I think he just kind of faded a smidge this year. Not that he was awful by any means, but I think he could also step up. Connor Fields, I think just needs to be a little bit more dynamic um, or just offer a little bit more. He does have, there were times where Fields does things that you're like, okay, can we see this a little bit more often? There were times where he had great crease dives and score. There were times he was behind the net dunking the ball in. Then there were plenty of times where he is in his wheelhouse and he's in the middle of the field toward the top and just, you know, ripping snipes. And I think I would just like to see him be a little bit more dynamic and a little bit more diverse of a player, just a little bit more 50-50 than simply running to the top of the offense a lot of the time. And then Brad McCauley, I just don't think, got a great opportunity. And I think as far as stepping up, I would like to see him simply go out there and earn a position. Just go out there, prove that you shouldn't be taken off the field, prove that you were you know, taken in that position in the draft for a reason, and just go out there and show Banditland what you got. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with all of them. I think Frazier and Fields came up way too short in the playoffs. I think that's a main reason they're on this one. Frank Brown, like you said, is because of the injury. I think he was coming on strong, and he was playing a huge role on the defensive end. We just want to see it the full year. I think that's why it's nothing against the play on the field for him. It's just we want to see it full year, and that that's step up into that defensive role that we need you for him. I am going to give it to Brad McCauley, though. I think you, you, you said everything perfectly. If Kyle Buchanan's not back, I think that is Brad McCauley's position to lose, being that seventh forward up in the, up in the, uh, up in the lineup there. Ninth overall pick, you got to be able to step into that role. He was a healthy scratch a lot of the season. I think he played five games for the Buffalo Bandits, scored his first goal, and he, I think that is the position. I know he's been working out with all the guys in Buffalo. I know he's doing all that extra stuff to get ready for it, but I think I want him to it, – it's not any negatives because this offense was just so powerful, so it's not really his fault for not being able to squeeze into that lineup unless somebody got hurt or you know had the COVID issues. But I think I would like to see him get that seventh spot in the offensive unit next year. You bring some youth into it. You bring some uh, energy into it. I would like to see him win that seventh forward spot if Buchanan's not back. And I mean, like you said, three of these four guys are up for the expansion draft. So it'll be very interesting to see if all four of these guys are back. If uh, three of the four are back, you got a couple that are RFAs. It'll be very interesting to see what this uh, dynamic is next year. 
So for me with McCauley, I think the only other roadblock he's going to have, he is a lefty on an already stacked left side if yep. Fields does come back. And then you have, obviously, Cloutier and Byrne, where I believe Buchanan was a righty. And yes. if he does disappear and he, he does go into retirement or if he just does not rejoin the team, Sam LaRue is a righty, so I, I could see... As far as forwards go, again, he is listed as a defenseman, so I have no idea if he actually officially transitioned to a different position in the NLL, which he very well very well might have. So kind of hard to say, but as far as that goes, for me, Sam LaRue could be that seventh guy and take over it because it's on the right side, whereas McCauley will have a little bit tougher time breaking out on the left. But at the same time, again, and a lot of this is going to come down to the expansion draft if Fields does get taken and there's no trade to get him back, then McCulley absolutely needs to step into that spot, be that guy, and like you said, be just that that next dynamic force on that offense. So congrats to Ben McCulley. That award is in the mail. Now, Phil, this last one, um, it can be, I guess we'll split it into two. You can pick yours. I can pick mine. It's the BSC favorite. This is our favorite player that we got to cover because this was our first year covering the Buffalo Bandits. It's 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 an award that I think if people have listened to this dedicatedly, they know which ones we tend to favor. We we have our favorites that we like to talk more about than others. For me, it comes down to four. There's Max Adler, there's Ian McKay, Tehoko Nanakook, and Kyle Buchanan. For me, I I know I have an Ian McKay jersey. I have it. I have. I'm his number one fan by far. I think he adds that element. He adds that. that funness to the social media accounts to practices and stuff like that i know he's a fan favorite i I love him but i'm gonna go max adler i think throughout the entire season for some strange reason even though we say face-offs only matter in certain situations max adler was a constant on this show where we were talking about him we're like okay they sign a face-off guy after they lost all but one face-off versus toronto let's see what he can do and then he runs a gauntlet of so many quality face-off specialists. But in the playoffs, in the finals, he stepped up and was winning like 66% of his face-offs. So I'm going Max Adler. I don't know if he'll be back next year. I have no idea what their plan for face-offs is if he's not. But I, I got to give it to Max Adler. We probably said his name more than any other player on the Buffalo Bandits, and he was only here for maybe three-fourths of the season. So I'm giving it to Max Adler. He was absolutely polarizing. As far as coverage goes, we... Hardest working five-second shift player in the NLL. Yes, and especially with the amount of football tackles he did to try to win the ball. Sometimes it got called, but sometimes it did not get called. And I forget which game it was, but him and someone else were going at it just throughout the entire game. And he did throw a punch, which was very exciting. Baptiste. And uh, I also remember his one and only goal that got you the perfect, correct score and me... One goal away from the correct score. I believe the only correct score we got all year. Is it that was. is that yes, right? Yes, it was. Hundred percent correct. You got it on a last second. I'm gonna call it BS just based on the fact that the game was already I over. Got I got penalty it. shot, and Adler did score. So credit to Adler, and it was his only, I believe, point of the entire year was a penalty shot goal. But uh, congrats to you. And that's why I will not be choosing him because he spoiled my perfect score, uh, <laughs> and I'm still upset about it. But I'm gonna go with Token and Coke. I think just as far as maybe not fan favorite, but just exciting player to watch, he absolutely is very high on my list. I think this is the only one that we have differed on, and it's not by much, but 
I think Nanakoke, just being a rookie and just seeing what he was able to bring to this team, and again, the different dynamic that he showed and just the different kind of play style and just his ability, his raw ability, again, being a rookie, just everything he brought was so exciting, and it was definitely someone I like talking about every single time and just cannot wait to see more of what this player has. And again, if he can continue to get better, which would be just even more impressive. I just cannot wait to see what him and Dane Smith do and possibly Fraser on that right side of the field. They can just continue to grow, especially with him joining the Buffalo chaos this offseason. They will just continue to work together and continue to build that chemistry. And he's just such an incredible player. And again, just one of the few players, at least now on this team, I think Dane Smith did it once or twice throughout the year where I was like, okay, didn't know he still had the ball, but Nanakoke does it quite often where he will fake a shot, either high, low, fake a pass. And, you know, he does it with just such authority that I'm like, okay, he absolutely passed. Oh no, he still has it. Okay. I had no idea that he still has it in this stick. And just, again, the things he brings are just very impressive and he was very fun to cover this year. Yeah. I can't say anything bad about that I think he was my number two selection it's just Max Adler pulls on my heartstrings a bit just because of uh <laughs> what we were able to figure out based on faceoffs. and I mean like I said hardest working five second shift guy in all of NLL there's not even anybody close I stand by that nobody can determine and switch my opinion otherwise but yeah Tehoka Nanako I'm so excited to watch him for the future it's the way he's going to be able to grow and the things he's going to be able to do to his game to even get better and possibly even I know he scored from his butt he scored from his (laughs) stomach it's just unbelievable type of goals he's been able to do it'll be interesting to see if he can change his game now that the league has videotape on him how to try to create fix his game like stop his game I guess and control his game I want to see if he's going to be able to adjust to their adjustments yeah adapt to what these the the teams are going to be doing because he couldn't do it in game two and game three because Colorado was not letting him get anywhere near the goal like he did game one so it'll be very interesting to see if he has that sophomore slump that a lot of people do or if he can fight through it and be one of those top reliable guys and move up to like number three on the scoring list for the Buffalo Bandits next year. It'll be very interesting to track the rest of his career. And I'm very excited about that. I also wonder with just his ability to shoot from outside and inside. I mean, he had that one, I think it was all the way from half that he was literally like a second off that he scored from half. I believe it was on ward and it got through him and it was only just one second off from actually having a be a goal, and it's the only reason it didn't count. It might have been on Rose. Not sure who it was, but he shot it from half, and it went in, and I wonder if, after seeing how well this year went, if the Bandits will ever kind of switch who's on point and who's down low between Smith and Nanakoke. Obviously, Nanakoke was usually the one, if Smith was out there, who was a little bit you know lower on the field, closer to that goal line. I wonder if they will ever try to switch that up, allow Nanakoke to maybe take some of those far out shots and give Smith a better lane to the net to just kind of do something that he does best as well. So it'll be interesting to see how their strategy changes, like you said, as other teams get film on how to defend Nanakoke and just to see if his game can adapt to it as well. But absolutely incredible player to watch. So congratulations to all our award winners. All of your awards are in the mail currently. There's no more awards to hand out. So if you did not win, uh, I guess that means you got to play a little bit better next year and top the winners of this year and so you can get your name on the trophies on the awards and uh hang them up in your own house or your apartment or wherever you live 
and uh you know show them off to all your friends because this is the most coveted award in all of sports phil uh all of the world nobody else can get them but the players we award them to that is darn right and uh we do still need a better name for them so if we could get some help with that that would be fantastic I was just about to say and remind everybody, we're looking to rename our BSC annual award show. It's just, it doesn't fit with the type of podcast we are. We like to be a little bit creative. We like to be a little bit different and just naming it after ourselves doesn't seem right. I don't think we deserve to have an award show named after us yet. Yet. We might get there someday. But yeah, if anybody out there can rename our award shows and they have to involve all four teams because this is a continuous award show that we continue to do for all four teams it's uh it's got to encompass all four so uh get thinking get thinking but phil is there anything else you want to add to this a little bit longer of a show but it's a a lot of jam-packed buffalo bandits content yeah for the season that just wrapped up we are still very much in the uh the thick of it with the bandits talking a lot about them and It's not going anywhere because we have the expansion draft coming up very shortly to see how this protected list shakes out and if we can ever get an explanation as to why the Bandits decided to protect Vince because to us it makes no sense. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So on our next show, if anybody out there knows the reason behind that and wants to let us know, we'll own up to it on Monday. Otherwise, we're going to keep saying it was a dumb decision and a bad decision and the wrong decision. It's not going to change our opinions unless you uh, can come up with a real valid reason and reasoning why it happened but on our next show we got the three band or bisons games i almost made it through a whole podcast phil i almost did it i almost did it but the three bisons games to wrap up that series we'll get you ready for the next series that they have coming up on that next tuesday we will cover anything that happens with the bills the sabers or the bandits and uh phil I guess with that, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye